0: Binge Mode is brought to you by Hanes. Oh, yeah.
1: Hanes is America's number one brand of underwear, and they just made it more comfortable. The
0: Comfort Flex Fit underwear is the latest innovation in comfort from Hanes.
1: Comfort Flex Fit is cool, comfortable, supportive. It's so comfortable, you'll forget you're even wearing it. I don't even know what I'm wearing. How did they do it? With a breathable pouch for support and roomy fit. You'll want to replace all... All, All
0: of it of your underwear after you try these.
1: These guys really know how to make underwear. And won't we'll break your bank. Ugh. You can get a pack of three
0: for 15 bucks. Oh, God. It's less than half of what you pay for a single pair of crazy expensive designer underwear.
1: Give them a try at Hanes.com wherever you buy Hanes. Warning.
0: Binge mode contains adult content.
1: The first 30 seconds of Billions involves Paul Giamatti, the son of the former commissioner of baseball, having a cigarette put out on his very hairy chest and then the wound soothed with a warm stream of urine from his wife's bladder. (laughs) (laughs) So, if that's not your thing, first of all, why are you listening to this? It's Billions, guys. (laughs) So, if it's not your thing, you shouldn't be watching Billions One, shouldn't be listening to this podcast too, and check out. Larry Wilmore, black on the air. One more warning. Binge Mode contains spoilers. Big time.
0: If you do not know the code name, the pseudonym that Chuck uses at the club, please proceed with extreme caution. And
1: now, Binge Mode. You came at me. Because you're a criminal, Bob. And it's my job to shut him down and put him in jail.
0: Well, if that's true, you're not very good at it. You're also full of shit.
1: What have I done wrong? Really? Except make money. Succeed. Hello! Yeah! Red, red, red!
0: And welcome to Binge Mode. Oh, hello. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. What a great website. Joining me today. Yes. Now that he's finished dining on body sushi with Wags. Oh, I love body sushi. <laughs> yeah. It's Ringer staff
1: writer, your maester, yeah. Jason Concepcion. You might know him as Mr. Martinez. That's right. <laughs> now, unlike Wags, I've yet to build up a tolerance. <laughs> That's why every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we'll be diving deep, not only into body sushi, but also into the topic that's obsessing us. And later this spring, we'll be diving deep, deep. like Mr. Martinez, into (laughs) Binge Mode Harry Potter. You'll be able to find both (laughs) weekly and the eventual Harry Potter pod on the same feed. So stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, rate and review us. Mephi would want you to. That's right. We also want to remind you <laughs> that we'll be at Con of Thrones later this spring in Dallas. More details to come, but we'd love to see you there. In the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at Binge underscore Mode, aka in the underscore, and join our new Facebook group. It is great in the Facebook group, guys. It is. Incredible stuff going on in the Facebook group. Friendships being forged. It's beautiful. It communication. Really is beautiful. A lot wonderful. of great polls lately. I love a poll. Love a poll. And that's just for Binge Mode fans, guys. So buy up your Binge Mode shares now. Don't short it. Long it. This week on Binge Mode, yeah.
0: we double-dipping, with Wendy's permission, on one of our favorite shows, Billions. We're looking back at Season 1 and Season 2 ahead of the show's Season 3 premiere this Sunday night. Today, Season 1. Tomorrow, Season 2. And then, starting this Sunday night and continuing every Sunday night throughout the season, the podfather Bill Simmons and I yeah. will be chatting about Billions on the Recapables feed. So please, again, subscribe to that if you haven't already done so for the Atlanta podcast. You should also definitely check out. Again, requisite spoiler warning for today's Binge Mode. As always, we will be going deep Deep. on details from the first 12 hours of billions. So pull on your Henleys. I wore a Henley today for Axe. Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Pour yourself some Mictors. Ooh, because it's time to head to Axe Capital. Jason. Yeah. If this King's Road runs long, it's going to cost you. Worth it! Probably so, because we've got 12 full hours of plot to cover, and that is a lot. And it's really, it's impossible. It's impossible to do everything on this show justice because there are so (laughs) many gems, so many subplots that we would, frankly, love to devote full hours to just all of those subplots. We're going to do our best today, so let's offer up a... Very brief refresher on some of what actually happened in season one of Billions by hopping into the luxury vehicle of our choosing Mm. and taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road, which I have to assume must be how Axe gets from the Hamptons to his office so quickly.
1: I know. The guy is all over the place. (laughs) Anyway, Bobby Axe, Axelrod, is the owner of Axe Capital, a pirate ship hedge fund with billions under management staffed by various unsavory savages like... Mike Wags Wagner, Axe's right-hand man, a stripper and hailing wheeler dealer who enjoys getting his ass eaten out. And Dollar Bill Stern, a dude supporting two families, one of his crucial employees.
0: <laughs> Shouts to Pastor Tim from the Americans. This, this kid can't. literally looks like a totally different person on these two shows. Sitting across the chessboard from Axe is Chaz Chuck Chazzy Chuck. <laughs> Chaz, the hard-driving U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Chuck is dedicated to bringing Axe down, to proving that Axe's success is built on a dirty edge, trading on insider information. Complication, though. Wendy Rhodes, Chuck's wife, is Axe Capital's in-house performance coach and therapist. Also worth noting, Chuck likes to get tied up, have cigarettes put out on his hairy chest, and uh, have someone uh, urinate on him to... Sooth the pain. Wendy is his dominatrix. This is information that Axe
1: will eventually leverage against Wendy. Chuck's investigation intensifies on his orders. The Fed's raid Axe cap, taking Dollar Bill into custody. Chuck arranged for the raid to take place when Wendy was out of the office, and she's furious because it makes her look complicit. Clearly, this situation is untenable. Dollar Bill, however, refuses to flip. What a guy. What a f- stand-up? I, I don't know if
0: stand-up <laughs> guy is really the way to... Loyal. Focused, committed, loyal. It has
1: two families.
0: Even when <laughs> threatened with the reveal of the second family, he's like, Axe is my dude. I'm good here. Yeah. I just told my first family about my second family, so no worries.
1: Chuck is under real pressure to reach
0: a settlement with Axe.
1: Axe is under pressure, too, and the cracks begin to show. After giving a St. Crispin's Day speech to his troops <laughs> on top of a desk... We're not going to give in. His speeches are really something. They are really some general hucks on Starkiller base type shit. Oh so after giving this God. speech, Axe unravels in a session with Wendy, telling her, among other things, we are fucked. Chuck, Axe, and their
0: respective lieutenants meet to hash out a deal to end this investigation. Axe have to pay a hefty fine, shut Axe capital, and be barred from managing other people's money. And that was not really what he thought he was signing up for. But in the end... Goaded by Chuck, Axe refuses to succumb, refuses to back down. He refuses the deal, tears up the chair. Tears up that check. Throws it in Chuck's face, storms out. Chuck, and we are using the heaviest air quotes yeah. possible. Like, not even your fingers, not even your hands, your full arms. Use them with me, folks. Chuck recuses himself from the investigation.
1: What's it called when you don't recuse yourself, but you recuse yourself? It's called what Chuck does. Chuck... Hands off the investigation to his lieutenant, Brian. But Chuck's blood is up. He's hard on for the kill. You think he's going to let this one go? He can't. Officially, he's off the case. Unofficially, Chuck convinces Brian to keep him in the loop. Rhodes is clearly walking a tightrope professionally.
0: Meanwhile, a nasty piece of history that Lara, Axe's wife, has been working hard to repress finally is revealed. The money that Axe used to start Axe Capital was made on the ruins of 9-11. As the tragedy unfolded, Axe shorted the market, literally as his former business partners were dying. And he made his fortune. Lara comes from a family of firefighters, policemen. So this is a public perception issue. It's an issue within the company. It's an issue within the family. People begin to turn their backs on the axle rods, previously folk heroes who seemed untouchable.
1: Brian manages to flip Donnie, one of Axe's people, and convinces him to wear a wire at the office. Axe knows he has a mole and the hunt is on. He focuses on three employees who erased and overwrote their hard drives. Quite suspicious. One of them is Donnie.
0: Except twist. It turns out Donnie has been working for Axe all along. He has been stringing Brian along, feeding the investigators misinformation. Then he
1: disappears. And
0: you? this part is true. Nobody yeah. knows where he is. Nobody right. on either side. The feds eventually get him back, but he coughs up a uh, bloody bile substance gross. that, just side note here, no, we're supposed to stick to big picture stuff in the yeah. King's Road. Conardy just doesn't change. He's he just, just like, leaves on the bloody clothes yeah. as he continues to have conversations <laughs> after know. this. And back to the plot here. Donnie dies.
1: Yeah, he dies right then. Not exactly then, but at that moment in the case, because he had pancreatic cancer. Axe knew that Donnie was sick and went out of his way to give him the best medical care, put him on his personal doctor. And that invested in Donnie a sense of loyalty. He's not gonna flip on this guy. Ah, but Axe, understanding that Donnie's death, one, couldn't be avoided, and two, in fact, the faster it happens, the better for him, withholds a key experimental type of treatment from Donnie that might have lengthened his life by a few months. And there goes Brian's case. Axe got himself off the hook. But He's still under pressure, still shaken, and his antenna is off. He makes a disastrous trade call that costs the company hundreds of millions of dollars. Who's there to pick up the pieces? Wendy. He calls on her to help him understand why he's not as keyed in as he usually is. He's like, am I a sociopath? Am Am I a sociopath? Well, by asking the question, that means you're not. Oh,
0: great key that they have this session because Wendy types up notes for her session and later Chuck breaks into Wendy's computer. Good thing we had that plot earlier in the season, the conversation about whether they know each other's passwords, guys. So Chuck breaks in to Wendy's computer, reads the session notes she took on that conversation with Axe, finds evidence that he can actually use to pop Axe. Guns bribery of policemen. This is how he can still make his move when it looked like all was lost. But Axe gets wind of the fact that there is a new, different, and potentially very dangerous investigation underway. and Wendy and Chuck
1: have it out. Axe turns on Wendy, thinking she's a snitch. How else would Chuck know about this incriminating information? He shows her evidence that he has in his safe of Chuck and Wendy's BDSM lifestyle. Ooh, In the end, Wendy proves her trustworthiness, and Axe pays her five sticks. Five sticks! Five sticks, five million dollars, and as soon as he transfers it to her account, she quits Axe Cap. Nobody can let anything go.
0: And even after he has to drop this bribery case against Axe because Wendy calls Chuck out on how he got the information, Chuck let's slip in front of someone who he knows as an informant that there are bugs at the office. Right. Axe shreds this place. With the help of Hall and a firm. they tear it down to the studs. They don't find anything. These guys are just playing games with each other at this point. Chuck shows up to taunt Axe, and they have their Pacino, De Niro, and Heat diner scene as each promises no quarter in the battle to come. I'll season two, but first... A much longer podcast on season one. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) Mal, I don't lie to myself, and I don't hold on to a loser the moment it doesn't feel right. I let go of it. Get away from it. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end of that neat wand light (laughs) axe used to check the egg yolks at Axel Farms. That was so neat. Axel Farms. Yeah, what a place. The defining theme of season one of Billions is power. Head of the season two premiere, Brian Koppelman, one of the show's creators and a friend of The Ringer, told our very own Katie Bakes Baker that, quote, as writers, as observers, we're super animated by the question of why can't people like Bobby Axe Rod stop? Like, why do they have to keep capturing more terrain? Later adding that, quote, there's a single minded focus and a tunnel vision that these people have to just keep Pac-Manning the world. Billions is a show about a lot of things, wealth in Wall Street, nicknames and yachts, How British actors pretending to be New Yorkers hold pizza? (laughs) They don't know how to hold pizza. Just hold it, guys. Just hold it like you're going to eat it. Just hold it like, hold it like you're not afraid of getting grease on your hand, and you're very hungry. And you, here's the secret to holding pizza. You have five minutes to eat this (laughs) slice of pizza, or something is going to fuck up in your day.
0: Question for you: Where's Lara from?
1: Lara's from Inwood. (laughs) When I was growing up in Inwood, guys, on the streets. Anyway. But above all, it's a show about power, the desperate quest to attain it, and the ferocity required to maintain it at all costs. It's all about the hustle, the chess game, and how quickly the people in one's life can become the pawns on the board. It's about deception, influence, and moral compromise. It's about desperately needing to win, or at least to lose less than the next guy.
0: Let's start with
1: Axe. Axe! Axe.
0: Bobby Axe, Axelrod, you might he know came him. came from nothing! As Brody. Axe is a self-made billionaire. He came from nothing. Not just millionaire, Jay. Billionaire. He came from nothing, and he (laughs) will tell you that any chance he gets, that he came from nothing. When the show opens, he is widely beloved in a way that is incredibly uncommon for stock market sharks. He's not a threat, at least at the beginning. He's an everyman. He came from nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, he came from nothing. (laughs) He is a folk hero who wears hoodies and he drinks bourbon. This is actually one of Axe's great tricks. Look at him, and he's got a bottle of Mictors next to him. And you're like, I drink Mictors, right? Right now, at this very moment, I have a bottle of Mictors at my home. Guess what? That's a $48 bottle. His? Couple grand. It's not the same thing, but he makes you think it is. It's an incredible trick. And our first glimpse into Axe's nefarious ways comes during a... Lovely little exchange with stealth MVP candidate Dollar Bill Stern. One of the great things about Billions and one of the reasons it's such a fun show is that so many of the characters have a real case for being the MVP. Yes. Dollar Bill Stern drops a seemingly innocuous assessment of his position on a trade. He says... I am not uncertain. And we come to understand very quickly that That's this right. is a code that Axe and his guys use. I am not uncertain because I actually know for
1: sure. I have inside intel. I'm breaking the law to make us money. Uh, this whole show, I think, can be boiled down to the, the famous yeah. Balzac quote, behind every fortune, a crime. How do you think these guys make their money? On the black edge. We also learn that Axe has more than a shorthand. He has a fear. The feds breaking into his place. What do the feds wear? Windbreakers. The feds busting into his shop to tear down what he's built. Axe isn't just rich. He is a titan of industry. He is a plutocrat. He is immensely, immensely, immensely powerful. Once you accumulate a certain amount of wealth and status, it's not just about earning more. It's about projecting that power on everyone else. It's about projecting the fact that you have this and no one can ever take it away from you. It's about sticking it to everyone, everyone who ever doubted you and beating everyone who's trying to take you down. There's a reason that Axe keeps saying, I came from nothing. And the reason that he sticks by Bruno, the pizza parlor guy, these are the people who were with him when he didn't have two nickels, right? Bruno gave him slices when he didn't have any money. So he's going to stick by Bruno and he's going to stick it to everyone who didn't believe that he could be where he is. Chuck, he isn't wearing a windbreaker, but he represents the thing that Axe hates and Fears. He's a person not only capable, capable in terms of intelligence, in terms of uh, wielding the levers of power of unbuilding, unmaking everything Axe has made, but he actually wants to. He's as driven to doing it as Axe is to keeping it. And there's a cool contrast in terms of where these two characters come from, and we'll get to that in a bit. Axe, as we know, because he tells us, came from nothing, I guess. <laughs> Chuck.
0: This is a great bit for you. For this Chuck podcast. did not
1: come from nothing. Chuck's dad is one of these titans. It's part of Chuck's psychology. He doesn't need to do this. He wants to do that. He wants to tear Axe down when the case is just gearing up. Right, the case hasn't even really begun. Chuck tells Axe, "Hey, I know you're thinking about buying this incredibly expensive Hamptons house and paying cash for it, They're just literally dropping a bundle of cash on it. But here's some advice: We're looking at you." Don't wave your middle fingers at us. Right. Don't make us angry. But Axe, that's exactly what Axe needs to hear to do the thing because he can't let someone else make his rules. I should, Axe tells Chuck, but what's the point of having fuck you money if you can't say fuck you? Good the, shit. <laughs> the button lines, as Cram will tell you, the button lines on billions are incredible. The dialogue is at times a little exposition, but the button lines, guys, incredible. <laughs> it buttons. The button just buttons. <laughs> When does Axe finally decide to officially pull the trigger on the house? When he sees his dog, which we never see again. No, what
0: happens? What happens
1: to the dog? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Also, we have we have a couple seats where Chuck is like putting out dog food, but we also never the see dog. The dog is
1: just gone. Concerning stuff. When he sees his dog whimpering, and obviously in a, in a state of pain after having his testicles snipped, part of him literally cut away. Not the most subtle moment for the this show. This is... As they like to say in English class, a metaphor.
0: Axe is a man who literally says, yeah. who's more low-key than me <laughs> right. as he's stepping onto a helicopter? I just
1: bought a house for like 60-
0: $63 million, Like, Yeah, six- $63 million, And it was not on the market yet, but they were thinking it was going to be in the 80s. Right. That's almost joking what a though deal. his deal! contract. <laughs> Contrast that. That kind of largesse, that kind of lifestyle. And the show really actually does contrast it literally smartly with this cut shot to Axe getting the helicopter and Chuck pouring cheap, greasy takeout onto paper plates in his office. You know, Axe is not the kind of man who takes chances. That's right. He does what he wants. And... He tries to get all the information that he possibly can, including when he runs a drill raid that his people think is real and then actually does fire one of his guys, Victor, for popping in the test. He uses Hall, his extremely creepy fixer. Yeah,
1: Hall at one point, as he's blackmailing a assistant district attorney. Tara. Tara tells her something along the lines of, hey, if I was to tell you, what my fantasies are, you would be shaken on such a fundamental level. That you would, like, never recover. That you would never recover. And then later, we see Hall in a sauna and let's leave the rest unsaid. <laughs> he is having this conversation
0: with Tara because he is blackmailing her. She works in Chuck's office right. and he's using a cocaine and sex tape blackmail tactic to try to get her to give information. And this is all sanctioned by Axe. Yeah. What else is Axe doing? What else is he sanctioning? He sells out birch, Nice to see the O'Connells getting some work. Jerry, (laughs) great to see you. Who is a peer, you know, to the extent that Axe has peers. Really nobody is a peer, but he's a professional peer in that he is doing the same type of work. And Axe just, you know, your instinct you would think would be to protect everybody else in that position because you don't want what's happening to them to happen to you. But no, he sells this guy out. Everybody is a pawn for him. He wants Chuck to be on somebody else's scent. Better birch than Axe, right? This is a tactic that Chuck will eventually sniff out. But what fun is a chess game if you're not playing against a capable foe? Then you might as well play checkers, right? That's right.
1: And it's not just that Axe wants to win. It's a zero-sum game for him. He's not content to lose. He fears losing probably more than anything else. Is it because he came from nothing? He came from nothing. (laughs) And as Wendy very trenchantly notices, he probably has some kind of expectation that at one point in his life, he's going to end up back there. Right. right? So that's what drives Axe. Take the naming rights at the symphony hall. It's not just that he wants to win by seeing his name adorning this building, a physical embodiment of a particular achievement. It's that he needs to erase a childhood humiliation that happened when he was caddying for the family that he's taking the rights away from. He wants to punish the people that hurt him when he was powerless. Right. Now he has power and everyone is powerless to him. The promise 25 minus the 16 million. That's not run-of-the-mill grudge holding. That's a special type of relentless drive that spares no enemy. Zach Kram's favorite scene in billions so far, but that's because he's only
0: watched two episodes. So. <laughs> and the entire yum time plot. Doesn't taste how it used to. Is a microcosm of Axe's obsession with winning. Here's something they didn't teach you at Stanford, Ben, yeah. Axe says. Whenever you can, put a company in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Axe is obsessive. He needs to show Chuck his reach. And so he takes board space and power away from Chuck Senior's mistress
1: just to get to Chuck, just to show him that he can. What a subtle and also totally blatant shot. Subtle and blatant at the same time. It's
0: brilliant. He's like, I can operate in ways that you can't grasp or understand. And also, I'm going to throw it in your face when I do. He is restructuring another person's company. Just so he can send a signal right.
1: to somebody else. I know that your father is having an affair.
0: Yes. And also, those guys ruined
1: Scrumpets, though. They don't taste the way they used to. Why? They changed, the, cool. changed the recipe to uh, cut costs. And also, let me just say the fact that Axe would be like mad that they cut costs and made it a more efficient company, it just doesn't.
0: But Jay, doesn't, he came from nothing. He came from and nothing. And w- Scrumpets gave him a lot of joy <laughs> when he was right. a kid. One of the things he had was the taste of a Scrumpet. In I his love mouth.
1: the taste of a Scrumpet. Axe can't ignore problems even when they're someone else's, even if that someone is merely associated with him. He bails out McDanzig, which ultimately creates a lot of complications for him, a lot of problems, and Chuck will try to exploit those problems later on. But Axe has to do that. Why? Because he has to demonstrate to the people that are with him, this is why you are with me, because I am powerful, because I can erase these problems for you by picking up a phone. Think about how Axe interacts with his own friends, right? Freddy betrays him. Freddie, one of his buddies, by acting on a tip, some intelligence that he heard Axe discussing with other people when they take their— This is an incredible sentence, I am to say. <laughs> when they take their private jet trip to go see Metallica. <laughs> Axe, when Freddie comes to him and is like, hey, I shorted that thing because of that thing you said, and now I'm 200 and something thousand in the hole. Right. Like, I have to come to you with this. Axe is pissed, covers the loss, and then— goes some. go some. Severs lifelong ties. When Freddie wakes up in the suite, seeing that the company that he had shorted actually did go down, he's like, hey, Axe, great. Guess what? We made money on the Dow." what? Everybody is gone. (laughs) Axe has left. Freddie took power away by acting on Info in a way that stepped on Axe's toes. It probably would have been fine if he said something, but he didn't. And that, in a way, stole some bit of Axe's power. And Axe cannot have that. He says, I don't lie to myself and I don't hold on to a loser. The moment doesn't feel right. I let go. I get away from it. That's what he did with Freddie. Think about the way he treats Bruno, right? The pizza parlor who was there for him when he was nothing, when he came from nothing, when he was busy coming from nothing. Axe invests in Bruno's <laughs> business, you know, as a show of loyalty. And then when Bruno slides him a check as part of his cut of the profits, Axe like, Bruno, what are you doing? What are you giving me a check for what, Who probably like $40,000 or something? Axe, Axe, surprised. But this is part of the dance with Axe. If Bruno didn't slide him that check, Axe would 100% change the way he sees Bruno. The reason he loves Bruno is because Bruno does everything out in the open. All that loyalty, that whole kabuki dance is right out there. That's a thing that Freddy didn't do. Never changes his tomatoes either, and that's that's also a big part of the love. <laughs> very, very weird. Also, like Axe... Gets around, man. Spends a lot of time in Yonkers at this pizza place. A lot of time. Works in Connecticut, lives in the Hamptons. I can't get over how quickly he gets to places from the Hamptons. It's really amazing. It's legendary. Axe
0: has a brief flirtation with shuttering the firm. And we come to learn that this is actually sort of genuine, but mostly also it's a ploy. It's designed to trick his competitors and the market to get out of the telecom sector based on a tip he got. Part of that whole Metallica trip. That dude, Constantine? Was that his name?
1: (laughs) I think it was Constantine. (laughs) A lot of people show up randomly to have a talk with Axe and you never see them again. Like Carrie Bechet of Halted Catch Fire fame. An astonishing (laughs) subplot. She is apparently (laughs) opening for
0: For Metallica. Metallica.
1: She catches a large, not a small, a large bottle of Fiji with one hand. Incredible stuff. And then comes on to Axe. He declines, and then she says something. She must
0: be a classic. It's like yeah. something like so, that. Yeah, it must be real. And
1: he's like, it is. yeah. And then he's like, she's lucky. Actually, hold that. You are. <laughs> you know it, right? Tough stuff. Tough stuff. <laughs> <laughs> really, really tough stuff.
0: Axe is ultimately willing to temporarily risk the reputation regarding his own sanity yeah. to position himself for real success long term. You know what's the name of his yacht? The one that he almost gets on. That's right. The good life. That's what this is all about. What might threaten the good life? What might prolong it? Well, let's talk more about Dollar Bill Stern,
1: the stingiest multimillionaire on Turns the planet, out supporting two families. <laughs>
0: there are a lot of really expensive. good monikers and a lot yeah. of good backstories behind the monikers. I love the idea that Dollar Bill, who is rich, as you noted, rich enough to sustain
1: two families, right. is just widely known as a cheap bastard. He's so hard up for airline points and travel points. This guy is, like, cutting coupons. (laughs)
0: Like, he gets found out because he needs the points. (laughs) That's incredible. And the whole Dollar Bill plot is really one of the greatest displays of Axis power because Dollar Bill willingly, willingly reveals that he has this second family, two minivans.
1: They're always going to catch the two minivans. I I just want to set the scene because this really is an incredible scene. Brian and Chuck are grilling dollar bill about various stuff he won't crack eventually they come to him with oh yeah what about this whole nother family that you're supporting two little leagues this is crazy right dollar bill just kind of like grins for a second goes into his phone where he has a letter pre-written yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> a pre-written letter never let it be said that axis men are planners <laughs> a pre-written
1: letter to his First wife, his initial wife, telling her the whole thing. All about the second family. He hits send. Take the leverage away. That's right. And then they're like, uh,
0: uh, uh, what? Some great facial expressions for Oren Bach, the council, Axis council. He's just like, like, wow, I don't even need to be here. Yeah, he's just just, like, (laughs) it's just great. You got this dollar bill. What is that move greeted with? You just blew up your family for Bobby Axelrod. That's families. Let me just... (laughs) And Dollar Bill says, I'm Kaiser Sose,
1: motherfucker. Let me just say (laughs) another thing about Billions. Loves to reference movies. Loves it. Loves it.
0: Part of this is that Dollar Bill knows that Orenbach will get him off, right? Right. He trusts in the system, trusts in the infrastructure in place to protect them. But part of it is just that his loyalty to Axe supersedes everything, even his own life. Axe gave his people their lives, and so in turn, they're giving him full power over them forever. And some of this is loyalty and love. Like, we see an amazing scene later between Axe and Dollar Bill where they act out this fight, and they're really just telling each other how much they love each other. and. Part of it is practical. It's real fear. Dollar Bill and everyone else knows that if they rat on Axe, they will never work again.
1: They're done. Imagine being Dollar Bill's first wife, doing whatever it is she's doing, and an email comes in with a PDF attachment, and you read it, and it's like, my dearest wife. She was eating some of the muffins that Lyra brought over in the muffin (laughs) money basket. Axe's initial refusal to consider a deal with Chuck is, in his mind, a weighing of the scales of power, he says to Orenbach. He has failed at his job. Why the hell would I give him a win? I love that. Why would I help him? To Axe, every interaction is about wins. It doesn't matter if he wins big or wins small. He's got to win. Whether he's shaking your hand or picking up a cup of coffee or whatever he's doing, that interaction's got to be a win. And he views giving Chuck a settlement a loss for him. Axe has a healthy respect for his opponents that he values. He doesn't respect Chuck at all at this point right. because he doesn't think Chuck has actual power to do anything. Right. And the 9-11 reveal, in which we find out that Axe made his money off basically the ruins of 9-11, is important because it's a reminder that Axe is just a trash person. This is an issue that happens a lot with stories like this, whether it be Wall Street, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Big Short. When you're talking about sums that are this large, right. it almost takes on a surreal quality. It's, it's hard to know how that relates to, like, everybody's everyday life on Earth. But here it is. Here is the way it ties back to actual life and death. He profited off tragedy, off death, off despair. He turned a terrorist attack into a business opportunity, and he basically owns up to it. He says, like, oh, yeah, I saw an opportunity to make money, and I did. This is a crucial plot point in the season. But for viewers, it's also one of the most potent and, and disgusting reminders that no source of power is too foul for him. He doesn't discriminate... When it comes to making money, as Balzac said, behind every fortune a crime. The particulars of the Donny plot, let's chat about that for a minute. Yes.
0: There is so much misdirection and roller coaster action there that it's not even worth really right. getting into all of that here. It's more about the takeaway, it's more about where this leaves everybody, particularly Axe. Chuck acted very grossly in the Donnie situation, too. You know, he told Brian Connerty to frame another Axe Capital employee to ruin someone else's life just so they could protect Donnie. He's basically like, these are all bad people. Take them out. It doesn't matter. But Axe is actually using Donnie as a human shield. You know, is there any greater power in the world than the power over life and death? That is the power that Axe is giving himself to make that decision about somebody else's life without consulting that person. You know, Axe learns that Donnie is terminally ill, and right away, it's an opening. He can act. He decides to use Donnie's last months for Axe's own personal gain because he basically understands that this can be a pawn for him. Feed information, control the situation, make them think they finally have their man, and then take that guy off the board before he can actually testify in court. But there's this moment, and we learn this through a series of flashbacks, this episode, which is is also Donnie's funeral episode, has multiple different timelines that we're operating in. Axe not only uses Donnie's last few months for personal gain, but he goes so far as to actually deny Donnie Treatment that could potentially extend his life. We're not talking a cure. We're not talking years. But, you know, as we hear Axe say out loud to Wendy, could have gotten him to Christmas. This is a man with children. This is a man with a husband. He has a life. Axe is setting up Donnie's family, Walter and the kids and everybody, 40 mil. We'll leave him with money and that'll be enough because money is the currency that carries weight. Power is what matters. And Axe's response to his own viciousness and vileness here is a truly fascinating glimpse into his psyche because he misses. Right. He misses badly on a read right after Donnie dies. Why is this guilt? But what is he
1: actually feeling? He has a session with Wendy trying to figure out why it is that he missed. And this is crucial for him because It's important that people believe he is infallible, that he can see the market in ways that no one else can. And Wendy says during their session, you're like Kobe firing off shots when he's two for 18. This is
0: an amazing moment, by the way, where they're just throwing shit off the balcony in the building. And like, clearly, like, in That's the part in the process of, the session. of filming that scene, it's like, all right, we
1: need you to throw this eighteen feet to the left of the trash bin. Right. It's like just- I hope the janitors at Ax Cap make like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. They probably do. They probably do. So she says, "You're like Kobe firing off shots when he's two for eighteen. No doubt, the next one's going in." And he says, "Kobe, Steph Curry, Jordan, maybe don't give me Kobe." She says, "Shooters gotta shoot. Unwavering belief in our own capabilities. It's essential to a point. Keeps us functioning at a high level." He says, "Until it isn't, right." She says, maybe your self-image is creating a blind spot. And she tells him he needs to figure out what part of his self-image is false. How is he lying to himself? What kind of untruth is he telling himself to prop up this image that he has of this all-conquering Wall Street titan? Wendy says, that's your fear. That even when you care about someone, you can use that for your own ends. And Axe says, if that is true, I don't like what that says about me. And Wendy says, it may be true, but that's not what this is. You're punishing yourself. Because you understand that you didn't care about Donnie. Not really. That's what scares you. What has Axe's quest for power turned into? Donnie's death and Axe's reaction to it forces Axe to consider the question. Well, people who have the capacity to feel nothing, they call them sociopaths. Is that what I am? The good news for Axe is that it doesn't really take him long to get over this. Wendy really (laughs) really does
0: the trick. Fixes him up right. He's just out there on the streets in Manhattan. Looking for money. He's even got a tie on. Tie's holding him back. Shed the tie. Get casual. Because what does a tie
1: say about a guy like Bobby Axelrod? I'm looking for a job. I'm out here. I'm conforming. I'm I'm auditioning. I'm conforming for your money. No. When I wear the the hoodie and the Henley, I don't even need you. I'm out here doing you a favor. Giving you this opportunity. That's right. I'm
0: an original. And one of the things he says in one of these pitch meetings is, "When I walk out that door today, we're friends for life. Where you don't exist to me." ever again. I'm about to go on the run of a lifetime. And he believes it. For yeah, a lot of people, he, he has to. This would be like self-puffery, just trying to. to convince yourself. He really believes it. And then there is this really wonderful scene between Axe and Brian yeah, that I, great, I know you scene.
1: love. I do love it because this is because where of Axe... the tomatoes. Right. On the pie. <laughs> this is also where Axe <laughs> makes sure to tell Brian that, you know, they came from nothing. So <laughs> Axe meets with Brian who is now leading the government's case against him because Chuck <clears throat> recused himself Axe wants to take an enemy off the battlefield. He wants to hire Brian. Brian is a little too good, a little too driven, a little too close. It's a naked ploy to remove an enemy. Yes, of course. But at the same time, Axe's logic, while self-serving, is totally sound. His pitch is essentially, okay, you did nice work for the government. Now make some real cash. You see how the game is played. You see how it's rigged. It's seductive stuff. Brian says, I know hard work. And Axe goes, yeah, you know hard work. But it's much more than that. You're driven the way only someone brought up from nothing the way we were can be. Chuck Rhodes, for all his ambition, he can never need it the way we do. The guy's had a safety net all his life. You and me, we never had a fucking net. Axe is rationalizing here. The coming from nothing talk is cute after, I don't know, the first couple hundred million dollars, (laughs) right? But how much is enough? How long can you still say I came from nothing? Now let's talk about his nemesis, yes. One with a silver spoon in his mouth and yes. a brass cloth scratching at his tits.
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: <laughs> Chuck Rhodes.
0: What a transition. <laughs> Our introduction to Chuck Rhodes, U.S. Attorney, is... Yes. Crucially, the opening of the entire show, and it is quite literally this man in his skivvies, tied up and gagged, being burned by a cigarette, and then pissed on. You guys might be saying, yeah, you've told us this a couple times already. We know. We're going to keep saying it.
1: You need to understand it.
0: (laughs) 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 This is the opening of the show, guys. Like, the entire show. Also, really can't recommend highly enough watching this scene at least once with closed captioning on
1: oh my god gag. you
0: must do it moaning <laughs> bracket gag bracket moan <laughs> bracket sound of urine hitting chest ah <laughs> yeah, right. and then suddenly electronic dance music oh, yeah. <laughs> okay his mistress is Wendy his wife the power dynamics that consume him at work where he must dominate the criminals who are corrupting the system he has sworn to protect and the power dynamics at play in his relationship with his father, Chuck Sr., definitely worthy of his own podcast series at some point, where Chuck is always trying to simultaneously measure up and prove that he's his own totally different man, they can be mercifully reversed at home. He can allow, for once, someone else to be in control. He can allow someone else to dominate
1: him. Yeah, he can. We get a sense of Chuck's Machiavellian tendencies right away. He isn't simply ruthless. He's deliberate. He's cunning. And crucially, he selects foes that he knows that he can beat. He's 81 yes. 0 in the courts because he doesn't take on a loser. So when SEC douchebag Ari Spiros, fucking Ari, are you wearing cologne,
0: oh Ari God. Spiros? The
1: cologne scene is amazing. Yeah. First comes to Chuck about Axe. Chuck is reluctant. He knows. One, Axe is a folk hero. You definitely don't want to go after a guy that the people love. And Axe is powerful. Chuck says, a good matador doesn't try to kill a fresh bull. You wait until he's been stuck a few times. Axe has not been stuck. Axe is strong and he's ready to go. When Chuck says that he works for the public good,
0: Wendy's there to call him out on his bullshit. And she says that he works for himself. This is really the crux of his power quest. There's this part of him that does want to serve the public good, yes, but that's also a mask that he wears to hide his real intentions. His assessment of Axe's precarious position actually tells us more about Chuck than about Axe when he says – they may be cheering him now, but believe me, they're dying to boo. He's positioning himself as a man of the people, but really he's admitting that he wants to be cheered. He right. wants the people to support him. There's also this really good moment when Chuck, after sniffing out Axe's Birch, again, shouts to Jenny Jerry Connell. Oh.
1: <laughs> Misdirection
0: plan. Really great head great. of hair. Uses... Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid to explain his revelation to Connerty to explain to him, I'm so smart. Look how I figured this out. Connerty's response here is so perfect and so notable. He says to Chuck, I didn't root for the posse. I rooted for Butch and Sundance, a.k.a. Axe. The people are going
1: to root for Axe. How can Chuck be in power, really, if no one's on his side? In the pilot, Chuck says every man is a junkie for something. So what's Chuck a junkie for? Power? Sure. Generally speaking, specifically though, it's about getting people to follow rules. He is a stickler for the rules. That dedication to rules, conversely and somewhat perversely, leads him to break the rules. He breaks the rules to make people follow the rules. He is all about people obeying the law, and not just the law, but like social mores. He's got a very, very, very strong picture in his head of what is right and what is wrong. Wrong. More than that, he absolutely lives for getting people to obey the law when, one, they don't want to, two, when it's inconvenient, and three, when following the law will really hurt them financially and personally in some way. He wants to force people to do it. One of Chuck's lies to others and to himself is, I'm never so proud as when I choose not to prosecute a case. His ego and his thirst for power does not actually allow for this to be true. Right. Let's
0: consider for a moment how Chuck interacts with people who aren't a part of his professional realm. With let's say a stranger real Uh, dick
1: Chuck is a man
0: just in pajamas. Right. Walking on the promenade and love the we'll call him dog shit, man.
1: Sure. That's really what he
0: is. (laughs) And this man, his dog shits. Yeah. And the man does not pick it up, doesn't have a bag. And Chuck refuses to let it slide. And the guy's like, just let it slide. Chuck's like, I can't. Those are three devious words. Let it slide. If I let your dog shit slide, then I have to be okay with this whole plaza filling up with it. Chuck tells this guy, you don't have a bag, you have hands, use your hands, and then proceeds to actually make this man not only pick it up, but then go back, oh, there's, yeah. there's some more, there's some more, go get it. This is not just domination, utter
1: humiliation yes, of another person. I see you every day out here, your dog shits and you never pick it up. Let me just say one thing about the plaza filling up. Chuck, the plaza's not going to fill up with dog shit. Can we not jump to these facetious levels of argument? It's going to rain. Something will happen. Somebody,
0: but a that's how that's how Chuck rationalizes it's his white, own it's behavior. Black
1: Order. and white. We often learn about Chuck's view on power dynamics through the conversations with his father, Chuck Senior, Oof, who is what a guy, much more slippery fellow. Yeah. One such insight from Chuck during the yum time fiasco that impacts Senior directly. He says, "I've dealt with Russians. I think I can handle this." Chuck Sr. is an influence on Chuck Jr. in subtle and overt ways. Sometimes he's actively inserting himself into Chuck's work and becoming a problem that way. And Chuck has to solve that problem, like with the cross-company shipping play. And sometimes it's more about how Sr.'s failed political past looms over Chuck's present. Chuck is always seeking to define himself separately from his father. He has to make a big show of every time his father tries to do him a favor, tries to help him with something, rejecting it in the most public and strongest fashion possible. I am not my father. He has nothing to do with me. His success has nothing to do with me. I am not influenced by the fact that this man fathered me. Right. But then he also has
0: to go back to him and say, I'm
1: sorry, you were right. Can you help me? Thank you. Right. So tough life for Chuck. As we said, Senior is is a valuable sounding board. He can tell Chuck What's the mindset like on the other side? What are these people thinking? Gives a window into the mindset of a plutocrat. He's been in these battles. He knows. Senior says, you can't allow yourself to get drawn into an unwillable fight. And Chuck says, and I won't. Victory will be swift, Dad. Senior says, no, be realistic. This guy is gearing up for trench warfare. He respects Axe as an opponent more than Chuck ever does. Absolutely. He's been in those
0: trenches with guys just like Axe. Totally. Chuck, like Axe, isn't afraid of how people feel. It's all strategy to him. who previously decided not to bring in Pete Decker in front of Decker's kids. Wait a minute. Wait for the kids to clear respect this guy's life. Chuck, he goes to the kids' baseball game to threaten Decker's parents so that Decker will turn into an informant for him. Shaming him is part of Chuck's goal. And we see how this thirst for shame starts to turn into an obsession for Chuck regarding Axe. Chuck says to Connerty, he's an icon of the wealth of our age and he's a fraud. The idea to Chuck of a fraud getting away with it when he, Chuck, is supposed to be the one who prevents frauds from getting away with it, it's just too much for him to bear, particularly given the Wendy wrinkles. He cannot stand the fact that the most important person in his life, his wife Wendy, works for the man that he despises and is trying to destroy. When Dollar Bill is in his custody, Chuck is asking Wendy to spill on Axe even though doing so violates the rules of their life together. And Chuck says to her, you've been with him longer than you've been with me. You can feel how this tears yeah. at him. His insecurity is at the center of this power struggle. And he also says to Wendy, lots of people love each other, but you and Axe, that's something else. It's weird and it's deep and
1: I fucking hate it's gotta it. It's got to be extremely painful on multiple levels. one, Wendy is probably making eight times more money than him. Two, she doesn't just work for Axe. She's in his head. It's an intimate relationship, whatever the professional right. boundaries are. You it could argue extre- more intimate than an actual affair. Yes, an extremely, extremely intimate relationship. He tells her his weaknesses, his fears, his foibles. And it's painful for Chuck. Chuck's a big deal. But unlike Axe, he has a boss. He answers to politicians, to the American people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Axe is a country. When he wants to move, he moves. Chuck's power, in other words, is checked. Before things really even pick up and get going in earnest, Chuck gets a visit from the the A.G.'s guy, Adam DiGiulio, who's basically saying, hey, listen, you want to go after these guys? Great. That's your job. Just be right. Just be right. Cannot be wrong. You cannot miss not even once. And gearing up for... The ultimately doomed settlement, Senior says to Chuck, even as a boy, you never picked a fight unless you knew you could win. This is a key difference between it. Chuck doesn't pick a fight unless he thinks he can win. That's necessary in his line of work. He can't miss. Axe, meanwhile, just doesn't think he can lose a fight. Right. He doesn't think that anybody can actually beat him. He's richer, more powerful, more driven, has thought of every outcome he's not going to lose. And these are both manifestations of power, but different ones. Axe is unaware of the limitations on his power. Chuck is very aware of the limitations of his power. That drives him professionally and personally. Everyone tells a different story about what happened in the closed-door settlement sessions. But Axe was ready to settle. Yes. Until Chuck pushed things. And Chuck did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. He wanted to get Axe to his most vulnerable point and then needle him. Axe in the end, tears up the check, but Chuck blew up the deal because his arrogance and hatred blinded him to the principle that guided his life. Suddenly, he decided to pick a fight that maybe he couldn't win instead of seeing through the one that was basically already a win. It was done, but it didn't feel good enough, it didn't feel like a guy was actually paying the price. Right. And this is really
0: where Chuck starts to go completely off the rails. He tells everyone that he is recusing himself, but then asks Brian to in essence act as a spy as an informant within their own team. His need, Chuck's need to beat Axe to win this power has corrupted Chuck's adherence to the one thing that he's sworn he's trying to protect, the rule of law. And it's worth talking for a moment about Chuck's scene with Spiros,
1: who is there to say, I want more power. I want more control. I'm going to look into this, quote unquote, recusal. Spiros is at least naked about his motivations and the way he does business. Right.
0: And he's a slimeball and we know it. But how does Chuck account for that? He can't let this slide. He can't let someone else try to have power over him in the professional setting. And so in truly disgraceful fashion,
1: truly disgusting,
0: he uses Martina Slovis, Spirus's rape victim from from earlier in his career. Earlier in his career, as leverage. This was a name, Martina Slovis, that we had heard a couple times earlier in the season. We don't know what is going on, but now we can piece together. Chuck doesn't just decide to use this like rashly. Not that that would be an excuse, by the way. It would still be disgraceful. He has been methodically plotting how to use this woman's misery to his advantage. Not only that.
1: He calls her to his office on the pretext of offering a job her a her. job.
0: It's horrifying.
1: It is truly one of the most disgusting things that, it, Sickening. that Chuck has done. How fake, meanwhile, is Chuck's recusal? Uh, all the way fake. When Connerty is debriefing Donnie in a secret location. Chuck's hiding in the closet. Chuck is playing such a dangerous game here. He could blow up the entire, Careless. not to just not just blow up the entire case, which he proposes that he cares so much about. He's on the verge all the time of ruining his entire career. This will become a bigger issue as we go into season two. And he's not just being shifty. This is alarming, alarming stuff. Why not actually let go? Let Connerty run the case. Connerty is doing a great job. Chuck can't hand over the reins of power and Connerty is not only furious, but he feels humiliated in a certain way. He, Why aren't you trusting me to do this? Why don't you think I can do this? And Chuck will rationalize in numerous ways, one of them saying, hey, do you want me in your corner or do you want me out of the case, right? I can help you here. And Connery, of course, says, I can't believe how reckless this is. Chuck's pitch to keep Connery on his side is, is on the surface an appeal to sensibility, But in reality, it's just manipulation, a a true power play. He says, we sold the idea that the playing field is level, but we both know the playing field is tilted like a craps table in Arizona. And Bobby Axelrod is the one sawing the legs. Every dollar he takes is a dollar taken away from one of those folks who earned it. Give me a fucking break, Chuck. I am willing to stare into the abyss beyond conventional morality to do what needs to be done to even that fucking table back up. This is the biggest pile of right. bullshit. He's willing
0: to do that when he's not taking side, side meetings with Horvath right. about $9 million a year jobs. You know, right. this guy says, you make 185 k on right. the year, that's what you'll learn in a week here. Right. Chuck's taking that meeting. Now, yeah. is his flirtation with that job ever serious? maybe yeah, not. Right. You know, he needs to know that he can get that if he wants to. He also needs to be able to appease Wendy by right. saying he's considering other paths so that he's not the only one asking her to do that. It's an ego play for himself and a power play with Wendy to try to convince her that he can change for her. So what finally causes Chuck to snap? It's seeing Wendy and Axe together laughing during that session about Donnie and the blown reed. And as we know, Chuck can barely stomach the idea of her working there. But this... This visual, this snapshot right. into their relationship is a reminder that it's more than just work. That There's this real bond there, and it's just
1: too and he had much he tried And li- she'd been out of pocket. He couldn't find try, her. Couldn't find her. Couldn't get in touch with her. And as he said, this doesn't feel like I'm just out of pocket for right. a little while.
0: This really robs Chuck of power, not only over his case, Axe, but over his own life. You right. know, it's one more thing that Axe is taking away from him, but it's also been the one thing that has always obsessed them. Cue Mr. Martinez. Cue a trip to the club. Cue the theft of Wendy's notes from her laptop. What a betrayal. What a transgression. That's not power on Chuck's part. That's weakness. That's cowardice. That is a corruption of both actual law and the laws of their
1: marriage. And then there's the kicker. Chuck can't pursue the bribery case once Wendy calls him out on how he got the intel. He lost his marriage, lost the path of the case as well. And he was blinded by greed and he badly miscalculated his chess moves. Here's the thing about it's hard to understate like how painful this must have been for Chuck when he thought that Wendy and Axe were together. Here is the person, the one person who he can entrust his entire secret life to. Right. And for Axe to seemingly take that away is to Chuck a betrayal on a scale that is beyond anything that he could actually explain to literally any other person on Earth except to Wendy. So, in his mind, going into the laptop, finding Axe's notes, this is just a tiny bit of something that he is due because of this betrayal of their relationship. Do yourselves a favor and pause on the shot of her
0: session notes. Yeah. The high comedy. Here's one sample. God, comma, Warren Buffett. <laughs>
1: So this betrayal with Wendy is buttoned up nicely in the scene where Axe and Chuck finally confront each other in the ruins of Axe, capital Axe, as we have both lost her of Wendy. Chuck says, oh, well, then maybe you have a sliver of my pain because you've stripped away everything that matters to me. And they, the dick measuring contest continues. You came at me because you're a criminal, Bob. And bob. it's my jo- I love the Bob. Bob. Tom, like Tom. it's like <laughs> <laughs> you see, you're a criminal, Bob, and it's my job to shut them down and put them in jail. Well, if that's true, you're not very good at it. You're also full of shit. What have I done wrong, really, except make money and succeed? Chuck then threatens Axe with jail. That's gonna play huge to the other guys on your cell block. Listen, he's not going to fucking the federal pen. Give me a break. <laughs> Bobby Axelrod? No, he's gonna the white-collar jail for two months, max. Continuing, cause no matter what you say, that's where you're ending up. He gives him the torn-up check. Right. And he says, keep that as a memento. And every time you look at it, know that deal is as good as it's ever going to get from you. Access. When I pull a deal off the table, I leave Nagasaki behind. Just casually tossing out the deaths of millions of people. You know the only enemy more dangerous than a man with unlimited resources. This is, this is Chuck. This is Chuck now. And he's got his arms spread yes. wide.
0: Just a, a gif in the making.
1: Give it. Well, let me do it as Chuck. With Chuck spreads his arms wide, his eyes turning wild, his face twisted in a mask of rage and pain. And he says, you know, the only enemy more dangerous than a man with unlimited resources is one with nothing to lose. And that is what you are looking at right here. Mr. Martinez. It Mr. Me. Martinez, <laughs>
0: get that claw out. Let's chat about Wendy for, uh, for a minute here. As a therapist, Wendy's primary function is to help other people become the best possible versions right. of themselves. But One of the show's true master strokes is positioning the services that she provides as essential, not right. something to be ashamed of. It's as important as anything that, say, Wags does every day for the company. You know, you cannot be in power if you don't believe in yourself. And Wendy helps Axe Capital's employees find that confidence. Crucially, she also believes in herself. She's never just a foil for the women and most often in this world, the men who she's trying to prop up. She is a reminder that you can best help other people when you yourself are in control, when you're assessing and taking honest stock of your own motivations and desires Wendy is not afraid to chase what she wants. She is also justifiably proud of her success. You know, even before Chuck's Axe case really picks up, he's not happy about her relationship with Axe, as we've talked about, or her position in the firm. And her defense for staying there is a direct threat to Chuck's power. That, meaning considering working elsewhere, was before I was making eight times what you make, she says to him. Ouch. Chuck comes from money. We'll learn a lot more in season two about where that money is. But Wendy's the breadwinner for them right now. You know, she's the one getting those five-stick bonuses. 5 sticks. She's fun in their brownstone promenade life. She
1: has the financial power. She's also able to solve problems that neither Axe or Chuck can. Take Victor, for example. Axe fires Victor after the fake raid, and that was a textbook case of creating a problem while trying to solve a problem. Victor can turn on Axe now, but Wendy stops him. She first goes to him, identifies this is going to be an issue. He's going to stew on this. He's right. going to act on this. This is a direct threat to the way he sees himself in psychology. I know for a fact. By the way, is she not breaking some kind of patient-client privilege here when she tells Axe, hey, this thing that I know about from Victor in the session means that he'll be a threat to you now?
0: There are a few moments like that where yeah. it's like, is she over the line ethically with what she's sharing? and? Right. It is one of the compelling things about her character because she ultimately, part of her self-assessment and her the power that she feels is that she can make that judgment call, right, of right. when that's okay, of when she's going to ultimately
1: solve more problems than what she might be right. creating. Wendy is guided by her heart more than the men in the show, but not in a way that makes her weak. It gives her strength and humanity that they often lack. Like when she uses her session with Maria to guide her towards taking the other job based on, though without ever revealing— But Wendy knows about WAG's intentions. Wendy later invests $250,000 in Maria's new firm, where she later interviews. When Axe asks her about that money, she says, I'm not my husband and I'm not going to be the shuttlecock. You two smack back and forth. She refuses to be a pawn in this. One of Wendy's greatest strengths is that she understands everyone better than anyone else. And indeed, better than they know themselves. That's her job. She's the reason Axe and Chuck wind up at the negotiating table in the first place. It's not her fault that their egos and thirst for power got in the way. She at least got them there first by telling Chuck, quote, he came from nothing. (laughs) Hadn't heard that. So unconsciously, he fears, maybe even he expects that he'll have nothing again. So he loves to put that fear into others, especially when they're not familiar with it. Is this, again, not overstepping the bounds of patient-client privilege? Anyway, and then Axe in the pool, where they are nude,
0: Bath, I guess, the bath pool. It's like a pool bath. jacuzzi. It's a pool-sized bath.
1: Yes. Looked great in there. Also, nude?
0: <laughs> Completely nude. Can't hide a wire if you're nude. Maybe you can. <laughs> On this show, I wouldn't rule it out.
1: <laughs> and then to axe in the pool, I don't want to see you throw it all away when you don't have to.
0: Wendy's handling of the Donnie situation is a testament to her refusal to be used and to be played you know she tells axe that she's pissed about him using her as a human lie detector and that she quote won't be used to
1: legitimize this bullshit and that last point is crucial what wendy does for axe isn't therapy this is a misunderstanding a lot of times that people on the show have she's there to keep axe's staff sharp to keep them professionally ready for that kill-what-you-eat mindset that is necessary to do their job. And those lines are blurry and perhaps purposefully slow at times. It surely helps that anything she discusses in a session, right, with Axe, with Donnie, with anyone else, can't be used in court. She can't be compelled to testify against her, quote, patience. At the same time, she's not out here trying to create better, more balanced, more honest human beings. She's trying to help sharks rationalize being sharks. Right. And by the way, Gus season two's motivational coach, actually wears a shark tooth necklace.
0: What a guy that guy is. Man, can't wait to talk about him. (laughs) Chuck does force Wendy to consider that contradiction in her work quite a bit. And it is important to remember that Wendy is a shark, too. You know, she's not always morally pure. When Axe's 9-11 actions are revealed, what does she tell him? That he has nothing to be ashamed of. What? Yeah. When literally what (laughs) that is what? When she and Axe are discussing Donnie's death, she says, You're a difference maker, but you're not a god, and then goes on to say, So no, I'm not disgusted with you for whatever reason when it comes to you. That's that's just not on the table. I'm
1: not disgusted by you.
0: (sighs) Wendy her breakups with Axe and Chuck alike are really shining examples of her refusal to let anybody else have the power over her. First, Chuck, I know what you did, she says. Everything I did is for us. I don't believe that. Not anymore. She tells him that she knows that he stole the evidence. He says, I had no choice. And she says, we all have choices. And she believes that. And she will go on to make hard choices and prove that she's willing to act on the advice that she's giving. And there's this Absolutely priceless moment during this breakup where Chuck says, don't worry, a wife can't be compelled to testify against her own husband. She says, I wouldn't have to be compelled. I'd volunteer. When people like this get to the point where they're finally disgusted with each other, you know that someone has gone too far. Wendy is refusing to let Chuck shift the blame to Axe. She blames Axe for things too, definitely, but she's going to make Chuck own up to what he did to his role in this, to his actions. Chuck says, this man, this motherfucker is destroying our lives. He's driving us apart and he's doing
1: it deliberately. And Wendy says, no, you are. This is perhaps an even more brutal exchange. Chuck says, I'm cutting off from you, from us. And you sit there and try to claim moral high ground. You're at a criminal organization and you can't even admit it to yourself. You prop it up and suck up all that it gives you. Status, money, control. And Wendy says, you know what? It gives me a hell of a lot more than you do, including honesty. That is oh, savage brutal. stuff. She's right, though. She is right. And fuck, Axe paid her five sticks. Five sticks. And how about that breakup with that? Yes.
0: She plays on this recording of Chuck admitting because Axe had accused her of actually ratting him out. And that was, the, imagine that. All you've done for this guy. The shit you've heard and that you haven't actually sold him out for. And for that particular accusation to be levied against her, how badly that hurt her. And there's a reason that that was the final straw. If they don't have trust, then there's nothing else left. And it is important that she win in every respect, as it is for all of these characters. And it's also important that she be vindicated. She gets Axe to agree to shred the incriminating evidence. You know, get rid of those Amazoners. I'm sure I'm sure that's all <laughs>
1: that there is of that, right? Now it's gone.
0: Gone. She gets to keep the Maserati that he gave her. She gets him to wire her five sticks for a sti- bonus. Ooh, <laughs> Bellaboy, Five <laughs> sticks. And then she quits as soon as she gets the push notification on her phone that the funds are in her account. Wendy says... Chuck was right about one thing. I can't be in denial about what this place is, what you are, any longer. Not after what you showed me. I know you trade on inside information and by other illegal means, or you let it be done for you. You encourage it. And he asks if she's taping him. She says, no, I just needed to hear myself say it. She needs to take the power back for her own purposes, not for anyone else's. And now a brief break for a word from our sponsors.
1: Today's Binge Mode is brought to you by the Google Assistant.
0: With the Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions. Wow.
1: On your phone? Ooh. In your car? Hey. And around the house? Thank God. For example, hey, Google, add chips and salsa to my shopping list.
0: Okay, I've added chips and salsa to your shopping list. Download the Google Assistant today.
1: Ooh. Today's Binge Mode is also brought to you by
0: HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy.
1: Ooh, no more time-consuming meal planning or grocery shopping.
0: HelloFresh makes it so easy to cook delicious, balanced dinners for less than $10 a meal. What? Yeah. Just
1: choose your delivery day and everything gets sent right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging. With three Three plans to choose from,
0: including classic, yes. veggie, and Jason's favorite, oh, family. Oh, eat that family. <laughs> there is
1: something for everyone. Mmm, plus, there are lots of one-pot recipes for seriously speedy cooking and minimal cleanup. One-pot recipes, that's, that's the hip just stuff. Just throw trendy. it all in a pot. This is so trendy. Look forward to your HelloFresh
0: box oh, delivery yeah. as the highlight of your week. The non-binge mode highlight Sorry. of your week. Knowing dinner just got. That much easy. We're busy.
1: Yeah. Busy Not, not a lot of
0: time. No. Not a lot of time to research recipes. Not a lot of time to shop. Every moment time. is precious. You know what helps? Tell me. Balance your life. Balance your meal. Yes. Balance your diet. Oh, my God.
1: HelloFresh. Unbelievable. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the code BINGE30.
0: That's HelloFresh.com. Offer code BINGE30 yeah. for $30 off your first week of
1: HelloFresh. And now, back to binge mode.
0: Jason, Yeah, I've never seen Citizen
1: Kane projected
0: (laughs) the way you're supposed to. Not a
1: movie person, (laughs) are you, Axe slash Mal? Incredible moment.
0: The way you're supposed to. I've never seen
1: the images projected onto a surface (laughs) from which you can see them.
0: (laughs) But I bet that the people who live like Axe in real life have, even if Axe hadn't. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about one of those men. So please, assemble the conclave. And head to the Citadel to teach us everything we need to know about Steve Cohen. Yeah. One of the primary influences for
1: Axe. Steve Cohen is rich. In fact, he's wealthy. Numbers, at least for me, once they exceed a certain number of commas, lose all connection with reality. I find it easier to comprehend vast sums acquired by these masters of the black world of capital if we tie them to something more earthbound. What do you buy? when you're richer than God. What about art? 2004, Steve Cohen paid either 8 or $12 million for the carcass of a 14-foot tiger shark, mouth agape, suspended in a tank filled with formaldehyde. The art installation, titled The Physical Impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living, was created in 1991 by the English artist Damien Hirst on a commission from the art collector Charles Saatchi, who then sold it to Cohen for the disputed fee of either 8 or $12 million. Hirst, unfortunately, is an artist Not a professional embalmer, guys. The shark, after a decade plus in its glass and steel abode, was rotting, much like the capitalist system from within. In 2006, Cohen then paid some unknown amount, which he called, quote, inconsequential, but is known to be at least in the hundreds of thousands for Hearst to replace the shark, which, as we said, was rotting. This process involved catching another shark, she had to do, off the coast of Australia shipping it to Hearst by sea in a 20-foot freezer complete with its own backup generator because, you know, got to keep that shark fresh. The journey took two months. The replacement procedure, which was performed at an English Air Force base, rendered the air so hazardous with formaldehyde fumes that protective gear was required. Long story short... Cohen got a shark, that's the kind of shit you do when you're incredibly, 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 incredibly rich. You can just be like, I need another shark for my fucking art. In 2013, Cohen bought Le Rêve by Picasso for a cool $155 million. Stevie was under federal investigation for insider trading by then, and and just like Axe paying cash for his Hamptons mansion in season one, Cohen's art purchase was seen as a brazen, double-middle-fingered salute to the authorities. I want his pickled shark, Deputy U.S. Attorney Richard Zabel said in a line that sounds... Like it was plucked really right out of the billion shooting script. I want to put his shark up in the office. In the end, Cohen's hedge fund, SAC Capital, took the hit, paid the fine. Cohen shuttered SAC. And as part of his settlement, Cohen was barred from managing other people's money for two years, which didn't cramp his style at all because he's got $14 billion, which he now manages through his company, .72 Asset Management. $14 billion. That's a lot of Bs. That's a lot of commas. That's good coin. Well, it's what I like to call the prisoner's dilemma.
0: No, you don't like to call it that. That's what it's called. <laughs> Started as a thought experiment.
1: Does no one ever call you on this bullshit? I know who would if he were here, so let's head to the Southampton Sep to bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite lines, or at least seven of the ones we can actually recite on this podcast. Not everything is eligible, From sadly. From our favorite character. And font of insight, Mike Wags. Wagner, I will go first. Number one. We know it's going to be good when Wags gets into a session with Wendy. We need Wags unbridled. Unburdened, he says. Quote, you know what ATM stands for, right? What follows is too graphic to repeat in full on this podcast. Even on this podcast. I will say that A stands for an orifice. T stands for... Two, and M stands for another orifice. And those orifices are spoken of in reverse order of the digestive process. Wax explains that that act, for some reason, seems, quote, so right to him. What is it about it? And he says, it's this, that I'm accepted as I am completely. For my good quality? Sure. But also for all of my filth. And I appreciate a woman. Who is that giving? I truly do. We accept Wags." Not fully in that way, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Number two. Yeah. When Axe returns from his near yacht getaway right. and uh, the, the whole, will he shut her the firm farce. Right. No one's happier than Wags, but the reunion isn't just emotional. It is perhaps our best season one insight into how Wags lives. Wags says to Axe, you fucking genius. Right. And Axe says, where is everybody? They quit already? And Wags says, bathroom mostly. Body sushi at the strip joint. And Axe says, you didn't partake? Come on, Axe. You should know Wags better than that. Sure enough, Wags says, I've built up a tolerance. This man, Mike Wagner, consumes strip club body sushi so often that he is now immune to the gastrointestinal effects currently sidelining the bulk
1: of the staff. Think about that for a moment. Let me just say one thing. On the surface, this seems like a bit of clunky dialogue. Do you really need to say body sushi at the strip joint? Ah, but later we find out Wags is such a connoisseur of the art of raw fish that it is perhaps necessary to say that, yes, not body sushi at this other place, at the strip club. That's right. Number three. At one point, Wags and Axe meet in a meditation room that is built in such a way that it blocks out electronic signals. Wags approves of this choice. He says, figured this would be a good place to talk. I usually get full bars. Now nothing. Axe, imagine that. When do you come in here? Wags, it's a great place to jerk off when you're not around. Let me just call bullshit on this. Wags is not jerking off in any room that does not receive electronic signals. Because is he using his imagination? No.
0: To be fair, to my man Wags. With a DVD player under his arm? It it only recently stopped receiving electric signals. It used to be the meditation room.
1: That's true. (laughs) And
0: we've seen Axe in there with his phone when he was meditating because there's the counter. Great point. Chuck and Axe both use meditation apps. You know, that's a nice little bit of connective tissue between their lives. Axe has the little wheel that counts down, and Chuck has the candle, fittingly. That's something that that could burn him. It's nothing like the term
1: (laughs) connective tissue when we're talking about these characters.
0: (laughs) Number four, when Wags and Axe are strategizing their yum time plan, as one does, Axe asks if Wags wants to make a run at Perkheiser. This is one of the guys they need to turn to their side. And Wags' response, he says, I can't do that. He's folksy. And Axe says, so? Wags offers this explanation. I've tried with folksy people. They find me to be a rapacious scumbag. And Axe says, I'm sorry to break it to you, but I don't think it's just the folksy people. And Wags, briefly hurt, you know, yeah. wounded. How about you? And Axe says, you're my rapacious scumbag. Wags, this is what love is.
1: <laughs> it's a beautiful moment between yeah. the two of them. Also getting your ass <laughs> eat. Number five. Isn't that just sex jokes with Wags? He's a businessman. Yes. Or as Jay-Z would say, He's a business, <laughs> comma, man. Dollar Bill says, I got to say, I'm not feeling this strategy, Wags. Then it's a good thing your feelings aren't a fucking priority. Wags can be pretty rough with the crew. Especially when you fuck with his sushi chef. Do
0: not do that. Man, I can't wait to talk about that scene in season two. <laughs> it's Wags speaking Japanese. That's, I just can't. Next level stuff. Number yeah. six. In the middle of one of the most intense scenes of the show's run, the Axe Wendy breakup in the finale. We get a brilliant, brief but brilliant bit of comic relief. Axe calls Wags to tell him, Why are those sticks? Right. Why are those five sticks to Wendy right now? Now. And through this tension that's choking the room, as Axe and Wendy just stare each other down, we hear Wags' voice on the other line pop up just for a moment. Ooh, Powerball
1: winner. Number seven, wags to Wendy about the office. Couple more days and it'll be Lord of the Flies in here, then to the office. Saddle up. Body sushi (laughs) at the strip joint on me. Again, no need to say at the strip joint. We know where you're going, Wags. Guy loves sushi. Always worth specifying. He loves it raw. Jason? Yeah. Walk away. I should. But what's the point of having fuck you money if you can't say fuck you?
0: I'll ask our champion.
1: Because she has plenty of fuck
0: you money now. All those sticks. every episode we're going to honor the person or idea that compels us the most and this week again no shortage of options we love wags we love dollar bill we are awarding our champion's purse paid out in sticks and Maseratis to Wendy Rhodes
1: five sticks and a Maz I mean do we need to say anything more she got (laughs) her bonus was a Maserati out of nowhere and five million (laughs) dollars <laughs> like the
0: Maserati was pre-bonus. That was just like a That was thank just you. like, I
1: like you, you're doing a good job. Here's a Mas- here's a black maz. Wendy is incredible. You know, Axe and Chuck
0: are they're fighting with each other. They're focused on each other. But Wendy, she leaves them both feeling like losers. She kicks out Chuck, she resigns from Axe Capital, and Axe Axe puts a point on it. We've both lost her. They have. You know, she's still got this brownstone off the promenade, though we're going to see in season two that they're they're sharing that. She's got Hot Chase, the headhunter, giving her all these job tips for free just because he's so captivated. Every firm in town wants to hire her. She is the most honest with herself of any of the characters about what she wants and why, what she can't tolerate and why. The other people who are that honest with themselves are only able to be that honest with themselves because she's helping them. That's right. You know, and she also appears to be one of the only people on the show who actually truly has friends. Like, it's hard to say that Axe has friends after we see how quickly he cuts them out of his life. And crucially, I'd like to let you take this one.
1: Crucially, she's doing the pissing. She's not getting pissed on. Important. Important. Also, like, you really got to time that right leather creaking I would also like to quickly call out
0: quietly one of the best Wendy moments of the show when Chuck says sometimes I wish I were your patient because maybe then I'd get a sympathetic ear when I'm not my best self and Wendy says if you were my patient I'd tell you to let it go but you're not so grow the fuck up Wendy is not here for anybody's bullshit and she's certainly not here to be pushed around polygraph me motherfucker polygraph me motherfucker All right, guys woof You don't try to be loyal. You just are. And we appreciate it, much like Wags would. Yes. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you were as excited for Binge Mode, Harry Potter, and Count of Thrones later this spring as we are, and that you will join us again tomorrow for our probably equally long episode on season two of Billions. Until then, remember, we are not uncertain.
1: Wendy, do you know what ATM stands for? BDSM? TNTNTMNT? What about ATNAT apostrophe DNDDY? Do you know what NIMBY stands for? These are all various things that I like to have done to me.